Well, good morning. We've been uh, we've begun a series on the first letter of Peter, in which we found to be a letter all about hope. The entire letter of First Peter is intended to give hope to a church experiencing resistance and hostility in the society around it. And Peter Todd began by showing us how we can have a living hope amidst troubles and resistance. And John continued last week by giving us hope for holiness amidst a corrupt and resistant generation. And now the apostle Peter begins chapter 2 by telling us how we can grow with great hope. Quite a while ago, I remember being impacted by a movie that I was initially quite skeptical about. Uh, It was a Sylvester Stallone movie, so that might tell you why I was initially skeptical. Uh, it It was one more in the Rocky franchise. I thought, not another. Like, the guy is 60 years old. Like, how many times can he get in the ring? It just seemed ridiculous. And the critics were all over it before it even came out. Before it came out, the critics were just panning it, just saying, this is crazy. This guy is just out for the money. And it was nuts. Well, everybody was eating crow after it was released. The critics loved it. It was a very credible storyline, very, very uh, impacting, as I said. And there's one scene in the movie where Rocky's son, Rocky's adult son, is upset and blaming Rocky for all the troubles in his life and just just laying it on thick about you, it's because of you, it's because of this is you, this is you. And Rocky just takes it all in, and then there's a scene in which Rocky responds to his son about how to handle the hard knocks of life. Let's watch that scene now. You ain't gonna believe this. Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't going to have a life. 
Don't forget to visit your mother. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. And that ain't us either. But we have a spiritual enemy named Satan who wants to knock us down. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy us. And with a powerful enemy like Satan, how can we possibly keep moving forward? Who are we that we can possibly take the hits of life and the hits that the devil throws at us and keep moving forward? I want to talk about how Peter encourages God's people to not only take the hits and keep moving forward, but to also grow in the midst of the trials. I want to talk about growing in communion with God. I want to talk about growing as God's chosen people. And I want to talk about growing as God's witnesses. But first I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. You would help us to see in this passage what you want us to see about the growth that you're at work doing in our lives and how that growth can bring hope and how hope can bring that growth. And I pray, Lord, you'd fill us with your hope and the hope for growth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by reading in, at the end of chapter 1 in First Peter. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It'll appear on the screen behind me. I'm going to start at the end of chapter 1 in verse 22 and then read a little bit of chapter 2 and stop, pause there, and then read more later. Verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation." if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As I do pastoral visits amongst the people of Gateway Church, amongst many of you, there's one thing that's almost always, in fact, I could probably say always in common among all those visits, is that God's people want to grow. You want to grow. People want to be growing spiritually and growing closer to Jesus. But in each of our lives, there's resistance to what Peter says is growing up into salvation, meaning growing in spiritual maturity. Peter recognizes this, and so he has two themes he wants to emphasize with his readers. Loving one another earnestly and the living and abiding word of God. Those are the two themes. The word of God and loving one another, that he stresses in the midst of this resistance to growing in God. In other words, it's love, being in loving community with one another and in fellowship with God through his word that we can 
move forward. We can take the hits and keep moving forward. Verse 22 says, Since your souls have now been purified in your obedient response to God's truth, love one another earnestly. That word earnestly, in the Greek it means it's a strong, deeply felt emotion. It's not a, a light word. It's always an intense feeling. And as we'll find out later, a strong and meaningful sense of togetherness is in Peter's mind here. A sense of community. That's what he's talking about. Then in verses 23 to 25, Peter points his readers to Isaiah chapter 40. That's, he's quoting when he, says all, when he says all flesh is like grass. He's quoting Isaiah 40 verses 6 and 8. So that they can see how much greater God's word is than anything we face in this world. And only then does Peter then talk about the things of the world, the things that we get oh, slimed by, the things that slime us, the things that come out of our hearts, uh, the, the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy and envy, all those things. And he tells us to put them away. You know how easy it is to just to read a list like that and just to carry on reading as though, you know, I don't struggle too much with that. I'm not too malicious. You know, I'm not, a, not like a malicious guy or anything, but, you know... I have been known to feel a few malicious thoughts when trying to park the car in a mall parking lot in December. I've almost made a vow, actually. I I keep it for the most part. Don't even go to the mall in December because I end up feeling things like malice as I look for a parking spot. Try going to Costco on a Friday. You know, like, you might as well just resign yourself. It's going to be a long walk. Perry told me that's good for my heart. So, anyway, envy. Envy is something that we, we sometimes struggle with in our consumer society. You know, electronic gadgets and stuff. We see someone's got it, I want it. You know, for me, it's books. I was, I was visiting a pastor the other day, a pastor of another church, and I walked into his office, and he has this entire wall of bookshelves filled with books. And it was like, oh. You know, it was just like, like, forget about our appointment. Let me just stand here and touch some of these books. It was just a beautiful collection. And I found myself envying his library. And then, you know, there's slander. I can't actually say slander never comes out of my mouth. Like, or I can say an unkind thing about someone. It's been known to happen. It may happen to you. It may happen at work. It may happen at school. It may happen at home even it can happen and it even happens in the church and we just need to ask God to wash us and set us free of that these are the things we're meant to put away and then there's deceit you know I don't consider myself a deceitful person but I have been known to try to sort of hmm, you know talk explain something in such a way that it puts me in the best light You know, it's called trying to save face or something like that. And that can be deceptive. Hypocrisy, you know that. Obviously, the difference between what we think and what we do or what we say and what we do. These things sneak out of our hearts or sneak into our hearts time and time again. And the first thing Peter suggests to deal with it, read it there. The first thing he suggests is, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Why would he add that phrase? Why would he not just say, you know, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. In other words, get into the word. Why does he say, if indeed you've tasted the kindness of the Lord? I think there's a real important reason there. Because I don't think Peter is just saying, read the Bible more, and then you'll get free of all those things. If you read more, you'll get more free. I mean, there's some truth to that. Getting God's word in our hearts is, is, is important. I'm sure all the biblical writers would feel that way. But there's a reason it's important. It's because this word is not just words on a page. It's a living word. And it comes through a living relationship with God. When we read this, we're reading the thoughts of God. When we read this, we're reading a love letter from God. This is all about relationship. God doesn't just give us a Bible so that he can communicate with us. He gives us a Bible so that he can commune with us. He wants fellowship. He wants a relationship. He doesn't just want us reading and checking off the box. Yeah, I read that. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Check, 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 check. He wants us communing with him as we get into his word. And that's why it says, if you've, in ta- if you've tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, as you read this book, are you really getting to know how good God is, how loving God is, how kind he is, how, how much he loves you? That's what he wants us to get in touch with as we get into God's word. So it's not about trying harder or reading more. It's about communing with a God who wants a relationship with us. And he wants to speak to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit as we read his word. So that's why Peter's next words in verse 4 are so important. He says, as you come to him. That verb that he uses, as you come to him, in the Greek is the same verb that would have been used of, of the priests in the Old Testament who came to God to bring sacrifices, who came to God to hear his word. The, 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 the readers of this book would have recognized that verb as something from that context, and they would have recognized Peter's actually saying, we're supposed to come to God like the priests of old did. We're supposed to come to God like the Pharisees do now. Well, how is that? Well, Peter's saying, we're all priests now. We can all approach God. We can all have that intimacy with God. We can all hear God's voice. It's important for us to see that that worship and communion that, that the priests enjoyed in the Old Testament is something that all of us are meant to enjoy, and more so because the Holy Spirit now lives in our hearts. Such a privilege. So let me ask you this this morning. Are you communing with God this morning? Are you communing with God in your everyday life these days? Do you experience communion with God? It's an important question. Are you opening the Bible and asking God, Father, would you speak to me from your word? I want to hear from you. I don't just want to read. I want to hear from you. Speak to me as I read. And are you journaling what he speaks to you so that you can remember what he says and refer back to it, be encouraged? Is that how your devotional life is being expressed through communion and not just through simple reading. I'm learning to do this more routinely. And this is my journal. I use a, a Gateway Church journal. You can buy one of these if you want. And uh, anyway, the, the, they're given away for free, by the way, when you take the Hearing God course, which is a great course, by the way. It's a great course for what I'm talking about right now. Because even though we all might hear God from time to time, this course helps you to sharpen that skill and learn to more easily recognize the voice of God. So when I was reading the Bible the other day, I found myself recognizing the voice of God. I read a verse, verse 2. I was reading Psalm 1, 
which is all about loving God's word. And I, as I got to verse 2, right away, I read this phrase, on his law he meditates day and night. I've read that verse dozens of times. I've read Psalm 1 dozens of times. But when I read it this time, it just like, it was like it leapt off the page. It was like day and night? He, on his law he meditates day and night? Uh, it was like that impacted me. I said, and I asked the Lord, Lord, why is that phrase impacting me right now? And immediately the thought occurred to me, I'm giving you a desire for this. I thought, I'm writing that down. I wrote it down. Then I asked God, is this something you want to be more intentional about doing? I waited. I immediately felt the Lord say, I want you to know the benefits of doing this more frequently. He didn't even answer my question. That's often the way God works. And then I asked another question. I asked, how do you know, how do you, how do you want me to pursue this? And that was like pay dirt. Suddenly I felt the Lord download. And he said, I want you to do this instead of using your phone so often. Terry would like to hear that. He's always on me about using my phone, right? So he says, I want you to do this instead of using your phone so often. And I want it to be instead of the negative thoughts you think as you lie in bed at night. There's a growing longing in you for this because I've put it there. Pursue it. Act on it. Reflect on my word rather than on your circumstances and you'll yield more fruit in season and your spirit won't wither in trials. Wow, I was encouraged. And that was just because I was communing with God, not just reading a psalm. And I encourage you to try that. Pull out your journal when you're reading and and be reflective as you read. Listen to the Holy Spirit. You know... I still remember when um, we brought our firstborn daughter home from the hospital. That's Rebecca. Rebecca is, a, is our firstborn daughter. And I, it was a long time ago. She's in her 20s now. But I still remember. I, I'm not just kidding you. I still remember the first night. I remember she cried. And I knew that would happen. So, you know, Fiona is getting out of bed. And, and I, I remember getting out of bed really quickly, right? with her and I went into the room and when you open the door whoa there's even more volume when the door is open and and so in we walk and Fiona picks her up and I didn't know what to do but Fiona obviously knows exactly what's going on she knows what to do so I'm just doing my best to try to help Fiona get comfortable and be comfortable get her whatever I can get her and well I kind of ran out of things to do you know (laughs) and uh, so finally Fiona just says you you can go back to bed so I did I went back to bed I went back to bed. Well, then it happened again and again and again. It was like four times that night. And like four times in one night. And uh, I wasn't getting out of bed quite so quickly the fourth time. (laughs) Although Fiona was. And uh, I don't know how many nights it was, but eventually there came a night when I woke up in the morning and said, Hey, did she sleep through the night? Uh, I got this kind of look from Fiona. It was like four times, you know. I just started tuning it out. I started sleeping right through it. But, man, she could wail. She could wail. And she, she, I mean, these little tiny babies, they can cry. They're not really crying. They're actually screaming. This is what they're doing. They're screaming for milk. They're, they're, that's the same baby right there. That's, that's, that's Rebecca screaming for milk. And uh, that's how God wants us to hunger for his word. That's how he wants us to hunger for communion with him, for his living word. He calls it milk. 
He calls it spiritual milk. And if we don't hunger for the words that this almighty God, our living God, has to give us, we have to ask ourselves, why not? Why am I not hungering for it? And if I could just cut to the quick here, I think it's because we've either had plenty of it, when we don't hunger for something we truly need, it's either because we've already gotten plenty of it or because we've filled ourselves up with something else. Fiona and I used to minister in a pretty rough neighborhood and uh, years and years back, and there was this one family we were visiting, and we found that they were giving Coca-Cola to their baby to keep their baby from crying. Like, that's just not good. But there they were doing that. They were giving Coke to their baby. And uh, the, the, uh, the fact is, that's not a whole lot different than any one of us turning on the television and watching a sitcom when we haven't opened our Bible in days or even weeks. We just haven't been reading our Bible, but there we are, filling ourselves with television version of Coca-Cola, junk. TV and surfing the internet can be the Coca-Cola that robs us of an appetite for God's word. So let me take you somewhere. Imagine, if you will, a church in which people reached more often for their Bibles than their phones, who carried their Bibles everywhere, who would turn around and drive back home if they forgot their Bibles when they went out. You have just entered the kingdom zone. Anybody seen the Twilight Zone? Yeah. That's, that's reality. You know, I do that sometimes. The Lord spoke to me about 10 months ago about always taking notes in church, taking notes during sermons. He may not have spoken to you about that, but he spoke to me about it. And sometimes I'll get to church and I'll say to Fiona, I forgot my Bible and my notebook. And I don't care what time it is. I drive back home and I get it. I go and I get it because God spoke to me. This is my Bible from when I was 16 years old. It's kind of beat up. You can see from its cover, it's seen better days. It's, well, actually, it's seen great days, actually. This, this Bible is, it's got pages falling out of it. It's, 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 it's got notes in the margins I can't read anymore because of the oil from my thumbs just rubbed it out. I, I loved this thing. In high school, I carried this around a lot. I used, I didn't carry it around from class to class. It's not like I was that keen, but, but I, I, I mean, it's beat up because I use it a lot. I carried it a lot and I loved this book. This was my milk. And I've had some other Bibles over the years that have gotten a little bit used up, but never one quite like this. And I keep this to be as a reminder to me that this is what I want God's word to be. This is what I, this is how much I want to long for God's word. I want to long for it so much that I wear it out and need a new copy. So, anyway, I, I want to offer you an invitation. If you don't already have a place and a time, and I mean not just a time during the day, but a place where you pick up your Bible each day, ask God to speak to you as you read and after you read, and journal what he says to you. I encourage you this week, if you, if you feel the Lord putting this on your heart to do so, to determine a time and place each day that you're going to do that. God can handle it if you're not totally consistent. If you, you know, he knows we're flesh and blood. And I mean, we're not perfect. He's got grace for that. But if we set our hearts, if we don't already do this already, 
to have a time and a place in our home where I'm going to, this is going to be, I have a, a little hideaway in my house. It's private. I close the door. It's, a, it's like, it's not a closet. It's a small room though. And that's my place. And there's a time when I want to be there. And so I encourage you to, to do that. You won't regret it. So that's growing in communion with God. What about with each other? Peter was also talking about each other. He was talking about loving one another, not just getting into the word. So let's keep reading. Let's read verses 4 to 10 in chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those of you who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is building on something here. He's building towards something. In fact, God is inspiring him to actually build something. He's building a house, a spiritual house, in the terminology he uses. In fact, what he's saying here is as we grow as individuals, he wants us to grow together. He doesn't want us just growing in our individual silos, but to grow together. The Bible has a lot to say about being a people, a body, a family, an army, a nation. These are all collective terms that talk of plurality. We're not meant to be alone in the trials we face. We're not meant to be taking the hits and keep moving forward by ourselves. We're meant to be doing it with each other, with the support of each other. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Like, what a picture that is. We don't recognize it because we don't, we're not Greek speakers. Peter was writing in this in Greek, and the readers would have been familiar with the Greek Old Testament. And some of the words he uses here were only used in a certain context. They were used in the context of God's temple. When he talks about this word house, he's using the same word that in the Old Testament has to do with the temple of God. And he's not talking about dead stones like in the temple back then. He's talking about living stones. And then he goes on and he talks about the priesthood and spiritual sacrifices. What's up with that? He's not only talking about the same word that they used for temple back then, but he's using words like sacrifice, spiritual sacrifices and priesthood. He's talking about a whole new regime here. He's talking about us being a new house for God, a new temple in which he dwells. But it's collective. He dwells in us. And he, he wants us to be his priests. He wants us to be offering our lives as sacrifices to him. This is the new temple. Jesus is talking about a superior temple to the Old Testament. A superior temple to the one made of dead stones. One made of living stones. 
He wants his readers to see that Jesus is that great cornerstone, strong and worth building your life on. And we as living stones with him have a purpose. There's a purpose in this world. We're not just here to kind of get through life, but we're here to accomplish God's purposes as his house on this earth, his temple where his glory dwells. When we were going over the testimonies this past week of the people being baptized, Dina was one, there was a couple others, Jim referred to it as well, of when they first came to Gateway, how, how they felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They felt welcomed. They felt the friendliness of God's people. What is that? That's the glory of God being expressed through us collectively. That's what's going on here on Sundays, you know? It's not just, come on, you can just kind of get used to each other. I kind of know some flaws of some people in this room. You know some of my flaws. And we start thinking of ourselves as flesh and blood. Well, there's something spiritual going on here, folks. We're a spiritual house. And God is expressing his glory through us. Hey, listen, listen. There was an Old Testament prophet who said, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Speaking of the temple after the exile, the children of God were exiled. They came back and built a new temple because the old one that Solomon had built had been destroyed. And Haggai was talking about the glory of the new temple being greater. But, but here's the thing. God's glory never descended on that temple after the exile. You know how in the, uh, you may have heard the story in the Old Testament where they built Solomon's temple and God's glory came and filled the temple. There was fire and smoke. It was exciting. That never happened with the temple built after the exile. There was no glory of God descending on it. Then the Jewish people waited 400 years after the prophet Malachi said, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who's that? Who's that talking about? Well, the apostle John wrote that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we've beheld his glory. Glory is the only son from the father. Jesus then said later on, destroy this temple in three days I'll rise it up. Jesus was the glory that came. Jesus was that new temple. And then, listen, listen, Peter refers to us in this passage as the temple of God the spiritual house that God's building. And then his Holy Spirit comes and fills us. We're the latter glory. That's, that's what we are. Come on, get excited. There's something. Haggai talks way back when, 400 years before Jesus. You know, the, 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 the glory of this house shall be greater than the former. He's talking about this house. The New Testament church and, and beyond the New Testament. Us today. That's why Peter could go on to write, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Wow. Now, two of those terms are so potent that the term royal priesthood and holy nation comes straight out of Exodus 19 verse 6. Now listen to, listen to this passage in Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Did you, didn't, doesn't that sound like Peter? A people for God's own possession? You're my treasured possession, although the earth is mine, 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There again, Peter was repeating all of these things. Uh, My own possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Basically, Peter is saying, that's your God. That's your God. And you're his people. And those promises you hear there are for you. They're for us. Our God is bigger. Our God is bigger than all the troubles we face. Our God is bigger than Pharaoh way back then. Our God is bigger than Rome and all he's doing to the the readers that Peter is writing to. Our God is bigger than anything we're facing today. Our God is bigger than any of the hits that we're taking because we can keep moving forward because our God is this great God who chooses us to be his possession, his people, his holy nation, and to express his glory through us in this world. Well, how does he do that? Well, let's read. Let's read these last two verses. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. Wow. Wow. So he's talking about God's people proclaiming God's excellencies. He was just talking about that in the earlier verse. Proclaiming his excellencies and about our honorable conduct. He's talking about our, our actions and what we speak, what we proclaim. And that is what he calls us to to proclaim his excellencies and to live honorably in this world so that people glorify God. Now, a lot of us find it more easy to focus on the living honorably part because, hey, I can, I can do some good deeds. I can, I can live a good life. I can, you know, Wendy can serve at the food bank and that's good. God, God loves that. But he also wants us to speak some things. How will they know unless they have heard. And so that's when he's talking about proclaiming those excellencies. When, when he talks about, um, in verse 9, he says that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into light. So that's what we call our testimony. Our testimony. Our testimony is powerful. And it's basically just telling God, people how God led you from here to there. How he found you and where he took you. What he's done in your life. And it's hard to argue with somebody's testimony. If you start talking theology with people, people might want to debate you. But if you just say, hey, can I tell you something that happened to me? Something God did in my life? If, if you're talking to somebody you've got relationship with, they'll probably say, yeah, sure. And you'll tell them what God has been up to in your life. You might even tell them what God did in your life at the very beginning, how you got saved. But some people, they're just not used to sharing that way. And so I'd like to encourage something. Just as I encouraged us to have that time and place where we commune with God, well, let's be intentional about having a testimony so we can sh- proclaim the excellencies of him who called us and made us his spiritual home and uh, has poured his glory out on us so that our glory is expressed to the world through the church. Go figure, motley crew like us. But he does it. So here's how he does it. Let's go to that next slide, that slide with the testimony on it. One-page testimony. I encourage you, if you've never done this before, if you've never shared your testimony of how you met Jesus, conversationally, if you've never done it, I'd encourage you to do this exercise. And what this exercise is, is you take 
most people do it on a keyboard because we don't handwrite so much anymore. But basically, one page, double-spaced, size 12 font. The reason I specify that is because if you use size 12 font, double-spaced on one page, you'll, and you read at a fairly natural pace, it'll be less than two minutes. And a testimony any longer than two minutes can be a little overwhelming to somebody. It just becomes a bit long. So we want to keep it, keep it brief. So write down what, is, what was happening before you met Jesus. How did he get your attention? How did you respond? And what difference has he made in your life since you responded? I'd encourage you to do that and then to get familiar with it so that someday in some relationship you're in, you can give a reason for the hope that you have. You can proclaim the excellencies of the God who wants us to be his possession in this world and an expression of his glory. So, basically, I want to leave you with three invitations. I've only mentioned two. One is, establish a time and place to commune with God. Two, have a prepared testimony that you can share, that you're familiar with in your mind, that's less than two minutes long, that you can share with someone. And thirdly, in in this in regards to this whole idea of community, of being together in this, I just want to say, if you're not in a house group, we'd love to be able to help you find a house group. And you can join a house group just simply by going to the Welcome Center and signing up for one. So these are things we can do to be intentional, intentional about what Peter was talking about in this passage. Amen? This is going to help us grow with great hope in this world. God bless.